You ever notice, like, especially, you know, post-Halloween, you start getting all of those, uh, you know, elevator music-style uh, carols playing in the elevator or playing at the mall, and as you're shopping, you just have this background noise going on all the time. Well, we've been trying to look in this series and say that we all have background noise playing, but we've so gotten used to it, we don't even know it's playing. And it especially plays... When somebody has harmed us, when somebody has done something wrong to us, there's a certain music that plays in the background. And usually that music, whatever it is, is something we saw our parents model or our family system model. Is it easy to apologize? Is it easy to own your part? Is it more easy to blame and to see everything the other person did wrong? I mean, how many of us, if we had a conflict in our marriage, in our spouse, with our spouse in our workplace, how many of us, the primary song is playing is apologize by One Republic? You know what, I probably really need to apologize. You know what, as I'm listening to these accusations, part of this is accurate, part of this is not accurate, but I'm gonna try and apologize for what I did wrong. Does that song play in the background every time you listen to somebody? Not usually. We hope it's playing in the other person's mind, I hope you need, you need to apologize. I hope you understand what you did wrong. I hope you understand how selfish you were. I hope this is playing in your soundtrack because it doesn't need to be playing in mine. And then you have that conversation after the conflict and you start in your spouse or the other person starts by saying, well, I hope you're going to apologize first. First, I wasn't going to apologize at all. You think I'm going to apologize? Dream on. Dream on, dream on, dream on. You better be apologizing. You're the one that did something wrong, not me. And so we can't even be humble enough to have a soundtrack going that says, I might be wrong. It's all, huh, dream on if you think I was wrong at all. And so what happens is because that song is playing, we can't see where we made a mistake. We can't see where we can own what we did wrong. And we can definitely see what the other person did. And so we get caught in Heartbreak Hotel. And suddenly that person who took a month from our life or a week from our life or a minute from our life is now taking years from our life as we tell the story, harbor the bitterness, can't get over it, right? We're stuck in Heartbreak Hotel because not only could we not let it go, but if you're waiting for them to apologize, good luck. They're not going to apologize. So are you going to keep yourself in Heartbreak Hotel because of what they did, somebody you don't like anyway, to harm you? Or maybe, sorry to bring in Justin Bieber, but maybe we need to say I'm sorry. And we need to realize that I need to apologize for what I did. And maybe the dance right now between you and a son or daughter, you and a spouse, you and a coworker, maybe if you went first, and even if you only think you're 1% wrong, could you take 100% responsibility for your 1%? Might it change the dynamic if you learned how to apologize? Wouldn't it change the dynamic of everything? You see, our buttons that get pushed, our buttons play background music. Some play songs of resentment and bitterness. Some play songs of freedom and forgiveness. I want to try and look at the background music we currently have playing that's getting us stuck in Heartbreak Hotel and rather play new music that can get us free free from letting someone who hurt us not take any more time from us. So we're going to get two records today. How do we forgive and why do we forgive? So the first one is the repeating record. 
the repeating record of forgiveness can overcome those songs of, of bitterness and resentment that play in us. Well, how, Chad? How's that going to happen? Well, it's when, it's when you change mindsets, when you change the background music from it's all about what God did for me, not about what they did to me. So one of the tracks that plays all the time is what they did to me. I can't believe what they did to me. This happened three years ago. I can't believe what they did to me. I can't believe what they did to me. If you can switch to the song, look what God's done for me. Look what he's forgiven for me. Look what he, how he's been patient to me. Look how compassionate he's been for me. This is why the biggest struggle for someone coming to understand the message of Jesus and incorporate this into your life is actually your own perception of your own morality. If you think you're basically a good person who's done everything right, you don't think God's forgiven you that much. You don't think God's been that patient with you. Quite frankly, he's kind of lucky to have me on the team. <laughs> See, your own morality and sense of morality and pride and arrogance about your morality, one, it's not accurate. Go ask your wife and kids. Two, it keeps you from understanding how patient forgiving God's been to you. Therefore, you're going to be stingy with what you've never received. That's kind of the premise the Bible says. And so we've been looking in brain science at the three different stages of your brain. So we've talked about uh, Paul McLaren's work in the 1960s of the triune brain, that there is this rational part of the brain, and this rational part of the brain can play new records, new grooves, new thoughts. And you can play those new records, the repeating record over and over again, that can begin to transform the emotional part of your brain, where your hippocampus exists, where you have a tendency to tune into the wrong song, the situation, or you're stuck on that channel, somebody's locked that thing in place, or when your buttons get pushed, we got certain phrases that are coming around and around our head that are keeping us from being able to, to move forward, it's gumming up the system. Remember, remember when these, these things get pulled out and they suddenly gum up the whole system? Then many of us have a, a tape that's been playing, it's gummed up our marriage, it's gummed up our life, it's gummed up our family. And we don't even know that's playing when somebody pushes our buttons or mentions that person. And then there's the, the reptile portion of the brain, the almost unconscious part of the brain that controls your breathing and your heartbeat. When all this stuff is going on, all of a sudden you're more stressed, more ulcers. But you can take thoughts, the repeating record of forgiveness, to begin to override these, these tapes of bitterness by changing from what they did to me to what God did for me. So let's read the Christmas story, the account of what happened in history with this metaphor and idea of what records or messages is God trying to have people overcome in Luke chapter 2. Now there was in that same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what's their response? You talk about button pushers. They were greatly afraid. You talk about fight or flight kicking in. What is this? And who wouldn't feel that way? So, afraid, afraid, afraid. This is bad news, bad news, bad news. Protect myself, protect myself, protect myself. I'm in danger. Warning, warning, little Robinson kind of thing. So what does God say? God says, the response you have, the emotion you have, it feels accurate and true, but it's actually not. We've got to override that. So what happens next? It says, now behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. 
easy for you to say. You don't have a giant angel around you. Do not be afraid for, and he says, now I want to give you some new messages. I want to help you interpret your circumstances differently. Rather than being afraid, behold, I'm bringing you good tidings. This is good news, not bad news. And this isn't fearful news. This is great joy news. Really? And this news will be to all people. Now, in the context of forgiveness, this is already hard. I don't mind forgiving my spouse. I don't mind forgiving my dad. I don't mind forgiving my kids most of the time. But all people, that partner who stabbed you in the back, that person who falsely accused you and ruined your reputation, I'm supposed to forgive them? All people? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Someone who rescues you from your own wrongdoing, rescues you from what you've done wrong. We all need rescued from our own waywardness, our own selfishness. So if I don't understand that I need a Savior, I'm not going to appreciate that all people deserve some of this. Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign to you that you will find him, a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. Suddenly, you're going to hear music in heaven. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and, and saying, there's a big song now playing. Not the fear song, but the glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, shalom. I want to bring uh, order to your chaos. I want you to bring fullness and healing, the wholeness, goodwill toward men. What a weird phrase. Goodwill toward men means a right standing with God. Not because of what you did for God, that's just more chances to make mistakes. What God is offering to everybody is a chance to be in good standing, to be, have goodwill. God has goodwill towards you because everything you've done wrong has been forgiven, not because you did a great job or made up for it, but because something covered all your wrongdoing, so you're in good standing on your account with God. This is the message of Christmas. And God says, I want you to understand that message, repeat that message, live that message, and incorporate that message into your life. All right, well, I want to, but I'm not sure how. Well, in order to do that, we have to look at what are, the, what are the tapes we're currently listening to that are not that repeating message of forgiveness. And some of those trace back to a long time ago. You know, these are things that we saw, you know, you saw your mom you know, never apologize to your dad, or your dad never apologized to your mom, and all you saw is if you did apologize, the other person loaded that up into a gun and shot you with it and remind you for the next 20 years everything you did wrong. You even said you did it wrong three years ago. All these old tapes are rolling, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I'm never going to let that happen to me in my marriage. I'm just not going to admit when I'm wrong. So what are some of the things, the tapes that play that make it hard to forgive? Here's a few. I would never do that. See, whatever that person did or didn't do, you say, I would never have done that. Because you don't struggle with those things. And you would never say that. You probably wouldn't. Because what you're really good at is what they're bad at. And so what really makes you so mad about that is because you feel like you would never be capable of what they did. Well, if you really examine that thought, it's self-righteous. Because while it might be easy for you to do one thing, it might be hard for somebody to do another. But as long as you think you would never do that, it's going to be very hard to forgive because you don't think you're capable of that kind of thing. But maybe that's not yours. Maybe it's well, who's going to hold them to account? If I, if I forgive them, they're going to get away with it, right? There's a normal sense of justice. That, oh, what they did was wrong. It was even evil. Some things have been done to us. Who's going to hold them account? And this is why the God of the Bible is both loving but also judging. The only way you can actually hand over 
that situation is if you trust that the person who's going to take it for you is a judge who's going to hold them to account. If you don't have somebody you can trust, you're going to hold it yourself because you're going to hold them to account. You're going to keep track. You've got to listen. You're checking it twice, and you know who's been naughty and nice. See, God offers a chance to have someone who's just so you can let it go because someone is going to hold them to account. Three, I can't believe they did that to me. And you rehearse it over and over, what happened and how they did it. But I find for me, you know what's harder for me to forgive? Not when you do it to me, but when you do it to somebody I love. I've had one this year. I have kept popping this tape out and throwing it in the garbage. I'm like, okay, I've forgiven them. It was bad. It wasn't fair. But I can't believe you did that to somebody I care about. Done. Oh, man, it didn't go in. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness, let me try again. All right. And then it comes up another week later. comes up another week later. Okay, I really know. They deserve forgiveness. You know what? They're, not, they're never going to apologize to me. Don't take any more minutes. All right, go. All right. Got one. Okay. And, I, and then a couple months later, I'm like, you know what? I still can't believe they did that and how they did that and how inappropriate that was, how inconsistent they were. Right? That's what we do. So I have been throwing a tape away and throwing the tape away and putting the repeating message of forgiveness over and over on that myself. And I'm finding more and more freedom. Each time it's a little easier to hit the garbage. Each time it's getting a little easier to keep it in there, not take it out quite as much. Three, four, I identify with the pain. Some of us have been hurt so badly that we identify with that. Instead of realizing I've been victimized, which is true, I have become the victim. I identify with the pain of what happened to me. It's become my identity. And it's very hard to replace a tape when it's become your identity. It feels like you're losing you if you forgive. Another one. If I forgive them, they'll do it again. Or it will excuse what they did. Next. It's fun to be angry. It's fun to take revenge. If you have anger fantasies about getting back at somebody, it really gives you an adrenaline rush. I was so angry telling this story when I first moved here 20 years ago, kind of how I'd been wronged and how I'd been betrayed, and just, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was an accurate story. And my buddy John Kirby came up to me after about the apparently 100th time I told the story. He said, Chad, I think it might be time to stop telling the story. And I didn't even realize how often I was telling it. But I tell you, I got an adrenaline rush of how justified I was and how I deserved this. I was at a women's uh, Bible study group recently, and I was talking about forgiveness, and I said, one of the things that can be helpful, one woman said, I just, I'm really having trouble forgiving somebody, and just how cruel it was and how mean it was. I said, what can help you is looking at forgiveness in three stages, forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration, and not lumping them together. She said, well, tell me more about that. I said, forgiveness you do for yourself. It only takes one person. Whether the person apologizes or not, whether they're sorry or not, I'm going to forgive you so you don't waste any more of my time, Right? Right now, what you did to me is gumming up the system. If I could instead break free of that, I'd be moving a lot faster. I'm going to get a whole lot more emotional and, 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 and spiritual and psychological room back by just breaking myself free. Forgiveness takes one. I want to get free so that I can operate better. Two, reconciliation takes two. It may not be appropriate. That person might be dangerous. That person may not be repentant. That person may... Uh, still be doing the same dumb things. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you're suddenly best friends with somebody. That's a whole other step. And sometimes you want to forgive or reconcile and the other person doesn't want to. Can't control other people. And even if you do want to reconcile, that doesn't restore trust. 
Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. But restoration takes time. So this woman was just sharing with me. She goes, man, I really want to think about that. So I, we did a series years ago all about that called uh, Battle Stations on our app, if you want to look at it. So I really want to make those distinctions because I want to be free. Another one was come to our church for a while, this couple. And after about six weeks of attending, they've really not been in church their whole life. And she's talking to me after a service, she and her husband, and she said, you know what, I've been estranged from my father for a decade. So man, it must be tough. She's kind of explaining the situation and just how hard it was. And we didn't talk much more about it, but she just talked about how much healing she was feeling, understanding, you know, her heavenly father and the love and forgiveness he had for her. So we finished chatting, and about three more weeks later, she comes up to me after service with her husband. She goes, can I tell you something? Sure. So I went and saw my dad. Same dad you're talking, like, stepdad? No, me dad. She, you know, I drive by where he lives all the time because I'm a nurse, and I know exactly where he lives. And I was just driving to work the other day, and I felt prompted to pull in and knock on his door. I've done it in 10 years. I said, really? How'd that go? She goes, it went well. I, I went up. I was scared to death. I knocked on the door. Dad opened. He couldn't believe it was me. He says, how, how are you? I, I've missed you. She said, well, I, I'm on a rush to get to work, but I thought I'd stop by and say hi. And I might have time next week if you wanted to get together. I said, man, what motivated that? I haven't done any sermons on that, right? It wouldn't me. She goes, I just, the more I'm understanding how God reconciled with me, the more I'm trying to be forgiving and reconcile and rebuild a relationship with my dad. And that's, that was the beginning of this incredible story. The repeating record of forgiveness can begin to free you up when it becomes about what God did for you. And maybe you're, you're kicking the tires on Christianity. You're not sure about this thing. And, and even if you're not sure this really happened or if you want to believe it, you see how it would help someone emotionally and mentally and therefore psychologically. And, and your heart would be better and your, your stomach would be better and your breathing would be better if you could do this. The problem is we get caught with a broken record of bitterness. And the broken record of bitterness clogs up everything. But it can be overwritten with the the freedom of forgiveness. But you've got to understand, I've got this broken record going on. And so even Mary, who's interpreting her circumstances, before she's had a baby, all of a sudden her circumstances are, uh, my fiancé is about to divorce me for something I didn't do. Right? She's afraid. And then she has to invite another friend into her life to help her see the broken records that she's going through in order to overwrite them with other things. Here's what the angel says to her. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. What do you mean? I'm about to get divorced. I'm about to possibly get stoned. Uh, this is not looking good for me. Do not be afraid, Mary, God says. You have found favor with God. Really? Well, this doesn't sound like favor with God. This sounds like uh, my fiance broke, is about to divorce me. No, no, you have found favor with God. You are right in the center of God's will. What you think, what your hippocampus is telling you is true, is not true. You have found favor with God. Play the hits. And behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the name Jesus literally means God saves, God delivers, God forgives. You are right in the center of God's most incredible message of forgiveness in the whole life. And then, as she's kind of just still, all the uncertainty, all the fear, her friend Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, kind of come together, both pregnant at the time. And here's what Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed for there will be a fulfillment of these things which are told her from the Lord. When you start feeling like life's going nowhere and I got no plan, she had a friend come and help her replace this tape. I don't know what's going on with, there's a plan, 
This is fulfillment. God is with you. Sometimes we need other people to help us in that process. Because it's just hard to see that you're playing tapes over and over. It's hard to know you need a new tape. It's hard to know which tape or record to play. And so part of the process is sometimes identifying which songs I need to swap and what I need to swap to. Maybe your song is, you know, Sorry Not Sorry by Demi Lovato. And it's just you're caught up in that revenge thing going over and over again. It's not really fear. Maybe fear of them getting caught, fear of them not being held accountable. But you're playing lyrics like, now I'm out here looking for, like, revenge. I, I, I've turned into thinking about nothing else but revenge. Or maybe it's Justin Timberlake, Cry Me a River. The bridges were burned. It's your turn to cry. You just so want the other person to hurt the way you hurt, you can't get free to another tape. Or maybe it's Carly Simon. You're so vain, you think the song's about you and the person did one thing wrong and they did it wrong for a while, but now you've broad-brushed everything they do as arrogant, everything they couldn't do anything right. All you hear when they speak is an opera singer. Me, 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 me. All they are is selfish all the time. They never did anything right. I shouldn't have to forgive them because they're just totally narcissistic and totally evil. Like a psychologist and a friend and I said last week, if you took the list of narcissistic characteristics, most of us would apply to most of them a lot of the time. Now, there are true narcissists who are horrible and, and unsafe. But, you know, most of us, if we're honest, we're all pretty broken. We're all pretty selfish. We all think it's about us most of the time. Or maybe it's your view of God. Ben Crosby. How you view what God sees you as is going to affect how you see other people. What do I mean? If you've got kind of a, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. God's coming to earth, and he's ticked, and he's got a list, and he's going to find out who's naughty. He's going to find out who's nice. That is not particularly a Santa Claus or a God I want to get to know. But if instead you say, you know, God does have a list of who's naughty and nice, and good news, you're worse than you think. You're all on the naughty list. And God's come to forgive you. And God's come to give incredible gifts. But you've got to admit you're on the naughty list. And you find a God who's incredibly gracious. And he's been watching you. Not so he can get you. He's been watching you so he can reveal to you that you've got a problem. He's got a solution for it. Wouldn't that change your perspective? What if instead of those songs we started playing Christmas carols? What if we played in our mind, even about the current situation, Hark the Herald? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. God sent peace on earth for me. He gave a gift of peace that I could be right with God. He gave me mercy. Mercy means not getting what I deserve. I got mercy mild. God's whole plan was God and sinners, wrong, people who do the wrong thing, people who go the wrong way, reconciled. If God reconciled with me, then maybe I'd be open to from reconciliation with others. What's another one? You might play. What's a, what's a hymn? Maybe it's Joy to the World. Man, I'm so filled with joy that God would forgive me. Joy to the world. That's what's going on in my heart. Joy, what God's done to me. The Lord has come. Let earth, re- I've received him, his kingship, his leadership in my life. If he's done that for me, I want to do it for others. Or maybe it's will come, will come, Emmanuel. Maybe you didn't know you could be forgiven of everything you've ever done, past, present, future. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, ransom. Somebody paid a price. That's what a ransom is. Somebody pays a price so you can be free. God paid the ultimate price with Jesus on the cross so you could be free from your, your waywardness, 
your inability to stand up, keep up to your own standards. We're in lowly exile here, not being able to live up to our own standards until the Son of God appeared. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God wants to be with people who do the wrong thing. That's why in the middle of the Christmas story, Mary sings this song. And the song is her struck by how God's forgiven her, and she just bursts into song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifying glass. I see God bigger than I did before. My spirit has rejoiced in my Savior. Look, Mary says, even I need a Savior. Mary needed to be rescued from her own wrongdoing, her, her, own, her own waywardness, her own betrayal, her own, her, her own way in which she, she ignored God and didn't put him first in her life. He regarded my lowly state of the maidservant. Behold, henceforth, all generations are going to call me blessed. Not because I deserve it, not because of what I did, because God chose me. God put, me. put me in a special place. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. It's not about what Mary did for God. It's about what God did for Mary. And here's the word mercy again. And his mercy, not getting what I deserve, is on anyone who trusts or fears or has awe of him. All right, so what does this really look like? Well, that's one thing for Mary. What does it look like in, in, in real life? A couple months ago, I was talking to my friend Brad. Uh, maybe you know Tim and, and Brad Kuzno, and they attend here, and you may know him from the NFL. And So I just asked him to share his story. And, and so Brad was sharing with me kind of tough background he had. And as he told the story, I, I would not call it tough. I'd call it abusive. And abusive with his mom and, and dad and, and just as he told the story how difficult it was. And I want you to hear his story of what he went through and what God did in him. And then I want to tell you what he shared with me and how he was able to not only forgive, but even reconcile. Let's hear his story and I'll share a few more thoughts. Let's watch. There was a bully there, a young kid that I'd never seen before. We'd go there about every other week to this bowling alley. And he was picking on all the kids. He picked on my younger brother, Rick. And I told him to leave him alone, and uh, the kid basically pushed my brother off the chair that he was sitting on and got into a fight, and then this kid, as I was wailing on him, grabbed my sweater and tore it. I knew I was going to be in big trouble from my mom. That sweater was a new sweater. So I put my winter coat on, thinking that, um, okay, that'll hide it. As soon as she saw me, she knew there was something to matter because that would be not the norm. She made me open it up, and she just lost it. And she tells Dad, "You better, you better beat him good." You know, now what he did, he's, you know, he's he's destroyed this sweater and etc. Like that. Now my mom, after this beating, I am just sitting there, not even crying and stuff like this. I'm in shock. She was soothingly talking. She says, "I'm sorry. I, you know, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it." And etc. Like that. That was my most tender moment with my mom, was having that beating and then having. Her soothe me after, you know, the things that was going on. And that was a, a good capstone of my upbringing of what happened. I got hit a lot, um, you know, and so as a result of that, my uh, life, and frankly, I'm just tell you, I reached out to God a lot. God, why is this going? Why is this happening? You know, I, just, I went to a Catholic, I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, lived right down the street. I was an older boy. I knew all about God, but I knew nothing about God. At the same time, where? Why did He abandon me? I thought I was rejected by God. 
later that uh, next day or whatever, I, 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 I got on my knees and I just reached out to God because I'm thinking I am doomed. I am going to spend the rest of eternity in some place that's not really good. <laughs> and um, long and short of it came down to us is that um, I, as I was doing this, God started working in my life in amazing ways. I go to the mall and I walk past a Christian bookstore, a Berean, I think. I've never been in a Christian bookstore, ever. I, I walk in, and so I go to somebody that's the, that seems to be working there, and I says, look, I'm looking for a, a, a book about God. What would you recommend? And first of all, she says, well, you don't start at the beginning. In the, you know, she says, what I recommend, you go to the book of John. Well, what's the book of John? Well, that's in the New Testament. Well, what's the New Testament? I had no concept of, of a Bible. And so as a result of that, she literally walked me through and she showed me, here's the book of John, here's the New Testament, and like that. And that was the first God appointment. And I took it home and I couldn't stop reading it. And it was through that whole experience. And that's how I became a Christ follower. And there's many others. One of the things that happened almost immediately is taking away my anger. And, and I don't get aggravated the way that I did when I was growing up and the way my parents did to me. My mom and dad cussed and cursed. My kids have never heard me cuss or swear. And that's a testimony from the fact of how God has changed me in, in dramatic ways. So I was talking to Brad. I said, well, when we were interviewing on, for the interview a couple months ago, I said, you were able to forgive your mom? And we took out the graphic stuff on the beating. He said, yeah, I was. I said, How? How? The one I started to realize she was just doing the best she could with what she grew up with. That's compassion for your enemy. <laughs> Giving a benefit of the doubt to somebody who did something by any definition it was abusive. He goes, yeah, my mom certainly was not perfect, but I started to see her as a human being. So second, when I began to realize how much God had forgiven me for, I thought I could forgive my mom for what she had done. I'm sitting there listening to Brad's story. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to forgive her right now. And Brad said, as he, he, and we're going to have, interview him in May, uh, tell his whole story about the NFL and kind of what happened there. He said, you know, as I kind of came out of the NFL and I was kind of, you know, well-known, mom and dad wanted to meet with me all the time. And I just kept reading the Bible and God just kept healing me and transforming me simply by reading these words. And so I started meeting with my parents. We had lunches and I started sharing with them what I was learning and I was able to forgive my mom, I started to build a relationship with my mom. And Brad told me this week that when, uh, when she died, that they had the best relationship possible considering the circumstance, but they had a relationship. And as their conversations continued, he actually was able to apologize from things he did as a kid. I'm like, oh, no, don't apologize to her. She needs to apologize to you. And how God was healing the circumstance, healing his heart, getting him free from bitterness, but also allowing him to have a relationship with his mom until those last few days when she died or last few months when she died. And Brad's here in the second row. If you want to talk to him after service, what does it look like to do that? And if Brad, if God could do something in Brad's heart to forgive what happened to him and he could be free, maybe God wants to do the same thing for you. Look what Brad did. He shifted his perspective on her. He began to see her as someone who also was human, also needed forgiveness, also was broken. 
And then shift your perception and your perspective on her. She needs forgiveness. There's an old phrase psychologists use that says, hurt people hurt people. It's easy to see when hurt people hurt you. It's easy to see the hurt you part, but not to see that there was a hurt person who's broken and got their thinking backwards and upside down. And we begin to have compassion toward others who hurt people when we realize that we're hurt people that hurt people. And it brings a degree of humility to the conversation. So here's my challenge for you. It's time to throw away some old albums. I don't know what the tapes are I mentioned today that you feel like you're playing, but maybe it's Dream On. <laughs> dream On if you think I'm ever going to apologize. Dream On if you think I'm ever going to get over this. Maybe it's apologize, thinking everybody else needs to apologize and not you. Maybe it's time to get rid of that. Maybe it's the fact that you think, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because if I do, it just loads up bullets and somebody shoots them at me. And that probably was true. But you say, I want to get free no matter how other people respond to it. I'm going to be free. I want to get out of Heartbreak Hotel. It's time for me to throw away those old albums. And I want you to think of one of those Christmas carols that I referenced or one of the ideas I referenced. Put on God's Christmas carol toward someone it's hard to forgive, someone you struggle to forgive. In the book of Colossians, it says this so clear. It says you need to put on like, you remember when you used to sit around playing tapes, you'd say, hey, put, put on that song I like so much. You, you even use the phrase put on because somebody had to literally put it on. So you had to put on the song by taking the album out, pull the album out, and then they would put on the new song. The same thing. You need to put on some things. Put on new albums to play those things, to override those old actions. You got to put them on. And what Paul says in Colossians, he says, put on long suffering, which means to suffer long, to be patient with someone is to suffer long with them. That's where the word patience, to suffer long. Bear with one another. It's going to be tough to bear with button pushers. But you bear with one another and you forgive one another. How? Why? And here's the secret. Even as Christ forgave you. Oh, you can try willpower. It'll get you so far. You can try it's the right thing to do. It won't get you very far if it was a pretty serious uh, infraction. But this is what transformed the world. When you realize that the God of the universe forgave you for everything you've ever done wrong and will do wrong, and you see just how amazing that is, and you fill your heart with joy, you then say, I want to put on some of what he did to me regarding this other person. Put on as Christ forgave you. You must do also. And look how he continues. He says, but above all these things, by doing so, you're putting on love. And then he uses the singing metaphor. Then there's a song that starts playing in your heart. You start singing with grace in your hearts to God. That's the song of freedom. That's what I want for you this Christmas. That's what I think God might want for you this Christmas. Don't let whoever hurts you steal any more time. Forgiveness takes one. Put away the old album and put on the new carol. The so band comes out and it's going to do a song you might recognize. But it's really about the condition of our heart. God wants our hearts to be free. God wants our hearts to be cleansed. God wants our hearts to be filled with that joy and that grace that he offers to the world. God wants you not to be clogged up or slowed down by things that happened in the past or things that, that really truly traumatized you. Your yesterdays don't have to determine your tomorrows. Maybe you want to mark today 
as a moment of forgiveness for you. You want to look back and say, it was that day in 2023 in December that I decided to throw those old albums away. Let me lead you in a prayer, just so you can just seal this moment for yourself. Think of that person. Think of that situation. You don't need to pretend it wasn't that bad. It was probably terrible and far worse. You can say to God, say, God, what happened to me was wrong. What they did was wrong. But I'm letting go of bitterness today. I'm receiving the gift of your forgiveness to me for everything I've ever done wrong. And out of gratitude for that, I'm entrusting this person to you. You hold them accountable because I want to be free. Thank you for dying for what I've done wrong. And I invite you to heal me, to help me, and to lead me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.